Welcome to the radio program, Why Paul? Bringing and interpreting the doctrine Jesus Christ presented through the Apostle Paul. Your hosts are Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton of 14th Street Ministries. We are here to bring you the answers found in 2 Timothy 2.15 and encourage you to teach and share this program with others. Now, here are your hosts, Michael Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton. Welcome to uh, 14th Street Ministries. Uh, the program is Why Paul? And I am your host, Michael Mix. And I'm your host, Pam Lampton. And I'm your host, David Reed. And Michelle is with us, but she just got back from surgery, so not able to talk much or any at all. So, uh, Pam, would you uh, open us in prayer, please? Yes. Father God, we want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for the life that you've given us through Jesus Christ. We thank you for this ministry, Lord, that you can use to take your word throughout the world. We have many listeners tonight and people who join us throughout the whole week for this lesson. I pray that you would bless the listeners, bless the people, Lord, with the word of God and to their hearts to encourage them, Lord, and most of all, bring the people to the Lord Jesus Christ through salvation. We ask these things in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, thank you, Pam. I'd, I'd like to read a couple of verses here. In Romans 1.16, and uh, the four of us adhere to these verses, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then 1 Thessalonians 2.4, but as we were allowed of God to be put, in trust with the gospel, not a gospel, but the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. David, I'd like uh, maybe to, for you to explain uh, what the gospel is and what salvation is and what we have to do to earn that salvation. That's a great question. That is, of course, the question that determines all of eternity. Um, let's look at a couple verses. So if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, mm -hmm. in verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. And then in verse 3, he gives specific details. Verse 3, For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. What's so interesting about that is that when scripture itself defines what the gospel is, it doesn't say anything about tithing. It doesn't say anything about keeping the commandments. It doesn't say anything about your works or righteousness or charity or church membership or any of that. The gospel, the good news is 100% what Jesus Christ did. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. Jesus Christ was buried. Jesus Christ rose again the third day. That's why you'll Sometimes hear people say the gospel is Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection for sin. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. With the vast majority of, of religions on the earth and philosophies, what they all think is that if you do certain works, and they, they, they differ among themselves as to which works, but they think if you do enough of the right type of works, 
God will be pleased with you and he'll let you into heaven. And that's not the way that it works, because as we saw in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, you're saved by grace through faith and not of works, which means that the only way that we can deal with our sin debt is we have to believe the gospel. The gospel is Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day. The moment we place our faith in his blood, Romans 3, 25, God saves us in that instant. So salvation really is this, it's this simple. When you quit trusting yourself and when you quit trying to earn God's approval through your own works and you instead have faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ did for you, God will save you in that instance. It's that simple. Yeah. It's faith in the blood. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, that's our mission is to spread yes. that word, isn't it? Amen. So. Uh, one of the reasons we're just here, you know. Um, Pam, um, you had some questions uh, from listeners. Would you like to uh, read those yeah. and so David could answer them for, yeah, for we'll our listeners? Those. Um, one question came in is, when are the Old Testament saints released from Abraham's bosom? This is something people wonder about a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, when you read Luke 16, you can see that when the rich man and Lazarus died, the Lazarus, the, the beggar, went to Abraham's bosom, and uh, he was in what's, what Scripture would describe as paradise. Well, how long did do the, do the Old Testament saints stay there? Do they ever get out? Are they stuck in the center of the earth for how long? Well, the answer is found in Revelation chapter 20, Revelation 20, verse 4. Now, Revelation 20 is after Daniel's 70th week. It's after the tribulation. It's after the second coming. The second coming is in Revelation 19. Revelation 20 is where we find the millennium, the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ on the earth. If you look at verse 4, Revelation 20, verse 4, and I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So those that were beheaded during the 70th week, they're, they're resurrected into the Lord Jesus Christ's millennial kingdom. And then if you look at verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. So what happens after the Lord Jesus Christ returns is there is something that scripture calls the first resurrection. And in the first resurrection, what happens is the Old Testament saints who were, they were in Abraham's bosom. They were completely content there. They were happy, but they get the privilege of being part of the Lord Jesus Christ's millennial kingdom for a thousand years. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
14th Street Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. Your donations are most appreciated. You can make donations on our website at 14thstreetministries.com. Our goal is to preach the gospel to a lost and dying world. Our message is to lift the believer, teaching sound doctrine by rightly dividing the word of truth. We are a grace ministry. You can reach out to us by calling 314-243-3779 or by contacting us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com or follow our Facebook page. Look for 14th Street Online Bible Study. It's time to serve, learn, change the world. Tune in each week for the power of young people to change the world. Hosted by NYLC's CEO, Amy Muirs. The program is a forum for both young people and the adults who love and support them. We make connections with others through stories of change, partnership, and new perspectives of issues facing the world today. Be sure to join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time or anytime on demand on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What's the difference between leaders who achieve exceptional results with ease and those who struggle to keep up? Tune in for Leading on Purpose with Nicole Bendeley. You'll discover the simple practices that are making the biggest difference to a leader's success today. You'll meet leaders who are bringing out the best in their teams. You'll gain practical strategies to lead yourself and others to high performance with ease. Leading on Purpose airs live Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. listening to the radio program why paul if you'd like to participate in today's program call in to 1-888-346-9141 that's 1-888-346-9141 or send an email to michael r mix at 14th street ministries.com now back to why paul welcome back i'm your host um, michael mix i'm your host pam lampton I'm your host, David Reed. Uh, David, would you go ahead and uh, pick up in, in Ephesians 4.9? Yeah, absolutely. And my, apologize, uh, my apologies. What, what happened, I think, is uh, one of our neighbors is having uh, the cable company out, and I think our Internet connection got cut. So we will yeah. press on. We're in Ephesians 4.9. Now, what Ephesians 4.9 says is now that he ascended... What is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? So when it's talking about now that he ascended, that's obviously a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you would look with me at John chapter 3, John chapter 3, and verse 13, And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. John 3.13 is interesting because it says that there is no man other than the Lord Jesus Christ that has ascended up to heaven, and that's true at the time of the Gospel of John, and the Gospel of John is written with a backward-looking perspective. In other words, the book was written after the events in John occurred. Uh, Then, if you look with me at Proverbs 30, verse 4, who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who hath gathered the wind in his fist? Who hath bound the waters in a garment? Who hath established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? So, obviously, that's a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ as well. 
So when we're looking at Ephesians 4, verse 9, and it's talking about he ascended, it's a reference to Jesus Christ, and you'll see why that's mm-hmm. relevant in a couple verses. Uh, can we go ahead and read Ephesians 4, 10? He that des- uh, descendeth, and the same also that ascended, up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And so what that verse does is it describes the Lord Jesus Christ as filling all things. Verse 11 is going to explain how that occurred. Verse 11, please. Uh, Verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. So there are gifts that the Lord gave, and what's very interesting in verse 11 is it uses the past tense word gave. In other words, it doesn't say, and he gives, or and he continues to give. It uses gave as the past tense, because the gifts that are described therein are not continuing today. Can someone read verse 12, and then we'll explain how that fits together. Okay. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So what the, what the Holy Spirit did at the beginning of the dispensation of grace is it gave those gifts, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, and it gave them for a very specific purpose— It gave them for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Now, why does that matter? Well, here's why that's important. So think with me just a minute. Put yourselves in the shoes of the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul is saved on the road to Damascus. We know that he's going to be given the revelation of the mystery, as opposed to... uh, the typical situation with the 12 apostles where they were, uh, you know, the Lord chose 12 apostles to send out with the gospel, the kingdom. The Lord chose Paul as a singular person to give the revelation of the mystery to. Now, Paul says in Ephesians 3, 9, which we've covered in a previous program, and to make all men see. So he wasn't sent to simply Israel. Paul was sent to all men, all the Gentiles of the world. So, that creates a very challenging problem, and here's what it is. What happens, how is the body of Christ supposed to operate, given the fact that Paul has been given the revelation of the mystery, which is new information, because it's not in the Old Testament scriptures, and how does the church function until Paul writes the epistles that explain what, uh, that explain how the mystery works. Well, the answer mm-hmm. to that is, what, what he did is he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers, and he did so for the perfecting of the saints, so that, in other words, the church would know how to operate. And that's exactly what took place. Welcome back. I, I made it back in, so my apologies for that adventure. Um, but those gifts were given so that the body of Christ would, would have the understanding so that they could 
be perfected. In other words, they could come to maturity. Now, the word perfect is a fascinating word. When I think of perfect, uh, I often think of, well, you got 100% on your math test. You had a perfect score. But the word perfect also has the meaning of mature or complete. Saints aren't sinless. You're not going to reach the point in this life where, you know, you quit sinning and you're, you have perfect righteousness in the way that you behave. I'm sorry, but that just doesn't happen. When it talks there about the perfecting of the saints, it's talking about the saints becoming mature, then becoming complete, and then for what reason? So that they can do what Scripture calls the work of the ministry. Let me make one point on that before we move on. When you think of the work of the ministry, people sometimes have the idea that the church is a social club. Uh, You know, you go there to see your friends, or it's a place where you do certain activities. You know, there's a bowling team and a softball team, and, you know, you maybe do a Christmas pageant, a couple things like that. Well, the the scriptural description of what a church is, is that a, a church is to perform the work of the ministry. For example, ministering to the saints reaching out to the lost, getting them saved, getting them built up in the faith. The the ministry is work, and those gifts were given to jumpstart the body of Christ so that it could do the work that God had called it to do. So when you think about your ministry, which, by the way, every saint should have one, it's not just there's preachers and everyone else is a spectator. No, no, no. Every, Every part of the body of Christ is an important part of the body. Your elbow is important. Your knee is important. Your toes are important. They're all part of what makes the body function. And so what we need to do as members of the body of Christ is to find the work that God has called us to do and to do that. Very good. Verse 13, please. So we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto all perfect man, unto the measure of his stature, of the fullness of Christ. So if we put together the the different time references in these couple verses, verse 11 says, and he gave. So he, he did this in the past. And then verse 13 says, till, which means God did this in the past. And did he keep doing it forever or did he stop? Well, he stopped at a certain point. Uh, He stopped when the till was satisfied. So what's the till? Till we all come in the unity of the faith. Well, how do you do that? Um, the, The answer is that we are able to come to the unity of the faith because we have the written word of God. So ponder this just for a minute. How can all believers on the earth be in unity? I mean, we speak different languages. We don't know each other. Um, you know, how, how, how would that possibly be the case? Well, the answer is what God did is he gave his word. And so if you believe his word and I believe his word, then we will be unified, won't we? Um, so the, the, key, the key element of unity is for every saint, for every believer to believe the word of God as it is written and to go by what it says. There's too much in the way of Bible study today that is simply man's opinions and private interpretations. And uh, you may have heard this before, but the most popular book in the Bible is Second Opinions, uh, where what people do is they correct God's word as to what it really should have said according to their viewpoint. Well, let's not be of that number. Let's believe what God has written and preserved for us. 
Now, to understand Ephesians 4.13 a bit better, look with me at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even as also I am known. So Paul said he knew in part. He saw through a glass darkly, but at one point he would see face to face. And that was when the written word of God is completed. It specifically says in verse 30, but when that which is perfect is come. So in other words, when God's word is completed, then those gifts will be done away. Now, I know that there are people today that think that they are apostles. And, um, you know, the reality is they just don't have the signs of an apostle. When you look at the apostles in the scripture, the apostles performed mighty deeds, and they did things that were supernatural. And uh, I know that people think that they, you know, they imagine themselves to be apostles. But the simple fact of the matter is they don't have the scriptural signs of an apostle. And the reason they don't is God is not giving apostles today. What God has given us is something even better. He's given us his completed written word. And what we can do is we can read that and believe that. And that's, that's a far better thing. Yes. So let's do verse 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried away with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So I've suggested to you that 1 Corinthians 13 is a good cross-reference. Remember how in 1 Corinthians 13 it talked about when I was a child? Mm -hmm. What does verse 14 then say? That we henceforth be no more children. Hopefully you can see how closely this lines up. Well, if you want someone to stop being a child, what do they have to do? Well, they have to mature. They have to grow in understanding. They need to start to operate as an adult. Well, Paul's desire in verse 14 was that they henceforth be no more children. In other words, what he's saying to the Ephesians is you guys need to grow up. You need to grow up in the faith. You need to get established in some of these truths. If you look with me at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1, there's another interesting cross-reference about children. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. What Paul's saying to the Corinthians is, I couldn't treat you as fully grown, spiritually mature adults. I I couldn't do that because the stage of your development that you're in right now is your your babes, your, your, your babies, your infants. You're not yet mature. And so I have to talk to you differently, right? You treat your, you know, 20-year-old son the same way you do a newborn? You don't because they have different levels of understanding and maturity. Verse two, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. You ever ever fed a baby a piece of meat and that baby just can't tolerate it and it'll spit it out? It's because it's not ready for it. Um, It's not, it still needs to have milk. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now 
are ye able? So if I could just give everyone a word of encouragement, one of the things we need to, to do as believers, the moment we believe the gospel, we're eternally saved. You can't lose your salvation. The, 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 the moment you're saved, you're just as saved as the Apostle Paul was. Nothing can change that. But should you stay as a babe in Christ? It's not a good idea, right? You love having a, a newborn. You love having an infant. They're fun to snuggle. But if you have a 20-year-old that you still need to give him a bottle, you would think something is wrong. You would say, look, son, I need you to progress beyond this. I need you to, you know, I need you to mature a little bit. Well, that's what we need to do in the faith. Now, if you notice verse 14, notice what the next part of the verse says, tossed to and fro. Uh, Does anyone ever remember that very important spiritual show, Gilligan's Isle? Mm -hmm. Um, On Gilligan's Isle, remember the the USS Minnow, how it was, the tiny ship was tossed? Well, that's what's being described in, in Ephesians 4.14. Ships at sea in violent storms can be tossed to and fro. And then it says, carried about with every wind of doctrine. Well, if you think about Paul's time, there were no motorboats, right? There was no such thing as electrical power. So what happened is, how did boats navigate? How did they travel? Well, it was by wind power. So if you think of the sea for a minute, what happens to vessels at sea is when they encounter difficult seas, they can be tossed to and fro, and they can be driven by the winds, sometimes places that they don't want to go. My point in telling you this is that Paul describes living on the earth in using that metaphor, that in other words, you're at sea. The sea can be a very, it's a, it's a beautiful place, but it can be a very dangerous place, right? Because of the elements, because of the tide, because of the wind. Well, if you don't, come to maturity in the the faith, if you don't get what Paul talks about as being grounded, rooted, settled, all all land-based terms, aren't they, where there is stability, then you'll be at sea and you'll just be blown about by every wind of doctrine. Now, why does that matter? Look with me at 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith and give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. So devils have doctrines. I know that people sometimes think, well, what devils do is they haunt houses. Devils cause objects to fly around the room, and they do sort of quirky things, and they make your car not run. And so they have all these, what I'll just describe as sort of sensational, supernatural ideas as to what devils do, and they interfere with physical life. Well, devils actually do something that's far more dangerous. Mm -hmm. They have false doctrines. And just to state the obvious, when someone is teaching you a false doctrine, they don't wear a shirt that says, hey, I'm a false teacher, right? They, 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 they describe themselves, they present themselves as ministers of righteousness. They act like they're telling you the truth, and they quote verses to you, but they will misquote them. They will misinterpret them. If you recall, when, when Satan tempted the Lord in the wilderness, what did Satan quote? He quoted the scripture, but he misquoted it. Well, the same thing is true today. There are doctrines of devils. So let's put this all together. What Ephesians 4.14 is is warning about, what it's giving the instruction about is essentially this. You live on the earth. Living on the earth is like being a ship at sea. You're in grave peril, 
because there are doctrines of devils. And it, it even describes it as by the slight of men. Well, you know what slight is, you know, the, normally we think about that word of sleight of hand. In other words, something that's fast, smooth, deceptive, hard to follow. If you don't pay close attention, it will trick you. By the sleight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. In other words, the greatest danger you face in your spiritual life is that of deception, is that of false doctrine masquerading as that which is true. Well, if that's the case, then what do you need to do? You henceforth need to be no more children. In other words, when your children encounter something and they're deceived by it or they're tricked, you're not mad at them. They're children because they don't know any better. But when you become an adult, do you have to wise up? Do you have to be discerning so that people don't take advantage of you? Let me give you a simple example. On the internet, are there all kinds of scams? Do you get emails from Nigerian princes that are very interested in making you healthy and wealthy? Right? I mean, that's what they're... Well, we know that's fake, right? But there's also ones that are sneakier than that, aren't there? And there's sometimes Ponzi schemes that sucker people in that have millions of dollars in their trap by it. This is all the way of simply saying this. What happens on the earth is there is a lot of spiritual deception we as believers need to get established in the faith. We need to get established in the word of God so that we are not vulnerable to those deceptions. So that's Ephesians 4, 14. Let's move on to verse 15. Okay, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him of all things, which is the head, even Christ. So verse 15 describes Christ as the head of the body. In other words, the head of the church, which is his body. Let's look then at verse 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by the, that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of, of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Now, the key part to notice there is that It says there, every joint supplieth. How much of your body is important? And the answer is all of it, right? You wouldn't want to have to go without a particular bone or a particular organ or so on. I remember when I was a young boy learning biology, it was said that there were vestigial organs. There were organs in your body that you really don't need. Mm -hmm. And uh, they thought at one point there were a whole bunch of them. And you know what they discovered over time? need them all. You need need all of them. And and the reason why you need all of them, um, and people sometimes quibble about the appendix because you can live without your appendix. Well, sure, you you can, but not as well. You can live without your right arm, but you can't function as well. You you, you need it to function at your maximum. Well, the, the reason why there's no vestigial organs, of course, is that God created man, right? And he created your body in a way that is optimal. And you have the parts that you're supposed to have generally, and those parts work together. Well, he created the body of Christ that same way, that there is no member of the body of Christ. There's no person in the body of Christ that doesn't have an important role to play. Um, some have more notoriety than others. Some stand behind a pulpit, some don't. But Please understand, every member of the body of Christ is important, and they have a role to play. Verse 16 tells you that, as well as a number of other passages. Let's look at verse 17. 
This I say, therefore, and trust and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their own mind. What Ephesians 4 describes most of humanity as doing is walking in the vanity of their mind. Vanity has two aspects to it. The, the first aspect of vanity is pride. Um, so like, for example, uh, you know, when you think of someone who is vain or arrogant, they're, 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 they're full of themselves. They're, they're, they're prideful. They're conceited. And of course, we know that's not an attractive character quality. The second meaning of vanity that's relevant is that of emptiness. In other words, something that is done in vain, it has no purpose. It doesn't accomplish anything. So when you put those two things together and you look at Ephesians 4.17, what it says about most of humanity is they walk in, in the empty pride of their mind. In other words, they, they think there's something. Man does that way. Don't we think highly of ourselves? We do. But it's, it's truly, in fact, emptiness. Because apart from Christ, there is no real life. So most, most people that, that are on the earth, they're breathing. They have bioelectrical uh, functions going on in their body that the organism is living. But the vast majority of humanity is spiritually dead. Uh, and, and everyone is spiritually dead that hasn't uh, come to faith in Christ, you know, unless they're a, a small child. Um, so verse 17 describes mankind as walking in the vanity of his mind. Verse 18, please. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their hearts. So it's a rough verse in describing mm -hmm. mankind, isn't it? Sure. Having their understanding darkened. Well, that, that's sad because what that talks about is they don't have any real understanding. Uh, Ephesians says, that which doth make manifest is light. When things are darkened, you can't perceive them. I don't know if you've ever, you probably had this experience. Have you ever been in like an empty basketball gym or something like that, a big room where there's absolutely no light? I mean, you just, you don't have any perception, you don't have any understanding, uh, you don't have any awareness. Well, the lost, unfortunately, they have their understanding darkened. And the reason why is they're alienated from the life of God. They're, they're separated from that life. If you look with me at John 17, verse 3, fascinating verse, John 17, verse 3, and this is life eternal. This verse is actually going to give a definition of what eternal life is. And this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Now, let me just make a, a point here to make sure this is clear. When people think of eternal life, they often think, well, I'm going to exist forever. Well, that, that has nothing to do with eternal life. You realize that the devil exists forever. He exists forever in the lake of fire. Right, but he, he doesn't, he's not completely destroyed. He doesn't cease to exist. He has perpetual existence. Eternal life is not simply perpetual existence because the lost have perpetual existence. The key part of eternal life is knowing the only true God in Jesus Christ, meaning if you don't actually have a relationship with God, you're not alive. 
your body can operate, right? Your body can move and, and you may have biochemical functions, but it's not really life. That, that's the whole point of, of that definition. In, in other words, here's what that's saying. What, what happens on the earth, and I don't know if this is the right metaphor or not, but, but most people are something like zombies, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Because what happens is they have a physical body that, that operates and it processes chemicals and so on. Um, and it, it engages in respiration and, and things like that. But they are spiritually dead. Mm-hmm. So they're spiritually dead even while they are physically living. And what, what happens, of course, to the lost in the next life, this is a sad thing. But they, they go to the lake of fire and they will be in the lake of fire for eternity. And they're never, they're never annihilated. Some, some think they're annihilated. They're just not. They're, they're, they're in the lake of fire eternally. And they have that continued existence, but it's not eternal life. It's, it's really eternal death. In fact, Revelation 20, we were there a little bit earlier, it calls it the second death. And what happens is if you, the, the typical, and I'm, I'm sorry this is the case, but here's what scripture says. The typical lost man, they live their life on earth and then they die. They physically die. That's their first death. But then what happens is they go to the lake of fire and that is their second death. And that is a, a, a death that occurs for eternity. That is uh, an, an ongoing punishment and separation from the life of God. I don't say all those things to be a downer and to, to scare you, but I, I say that to say that when, when Michael uh, mentioned the gospel at the, at the top of the show, you please understand how critically important that is. If, if you don't believe the gospel, you, you will remain alienated from the life of God. You, you will be in the lake of fire for all eternity. You will experience a second death and you will not possess eternal life. I mean, there's a whole b- list of bad, horrible things that happen. And there's no reason that you have to suffer those things because Christ died for your sins and you can have eternal life by believing on what he did. And that's why we, we just so encourage you so strongly in that, that regard to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what Ephesians 4.18 then says it says they're alienated from the life of God, and then it says through the ignorance that is in them. Scripture describes the lost as ignorant. It's not mm-hmm. mocking them. It's not calling them uneducated. It's not saying that they're dumb. Ignorance is the lack of knowledge. And so it's saying that they lack certain knowledge that they need to have. The next phrase in, a, in Ephesians 4.18 is it says, that it's a, I'm just going to read it together, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of, so now we're getting to the root cause, because of the blindness of their heart. Get 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3, 2 Corinthians 4.3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Sort of a scary verse. Mm -hmm. What it says there is Satan has blinded the minds of them which believe not. So what Satan does to unbelievers is what does he do? 
he blinds their mind. Remember how we started this verse with having the understanding darkened? Well, mm-hmm. actually, so think about this. If you have perfect eyesight, but you're in an environment where there's no light, you know what you are effectively? Blind. You're, you're blind. Because mm-hmm. if there's no light, it doesn't matter how good your eyes are, you're not going to be able to see. And so what Satan has done is he's blinded the minds of them which believe not. And he did that for a very specific reason. It was lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. In other words, his desire is that the lost stay lost. He wants them to be in the lake of fire, uh, which is where he's going to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've heard this phrase, no doubt, at some point in your life. Misery loves what? Company. Misery loves company. Mm Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And if you, I won't bother to turn there, but if you ever read Ezekiel 32, you'll see that it it uses Pharaoh as a metaphor and it describes him as being comforted in hell over the multitude of lost people that are there. Well, that's what Satan's trying to do right now. What's really happening on the earth is this. Satan is going to go to the lake of fire. He's fully aware of that. Because scripture says that, and he knows mm-hmm. that scripture is true, and he knows that scriptures can't be broken. So the only solace, the only comfort he can find is he desires to take as many people there with him as he can. That's, that's what he's trying to do. And because that's what he wants to do, what he does is he blinds the minds of them which believe not, so that they, the, glorious, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ doesn't shine unto them. That means a couple things. Number one, for the body of Christ, we need to be busy preaching the gospel because people need to hear it. And then if you're not saved, you need to believe it because that's the only way to save your soul from eternal hell. Get with me Hebrews 11.3. There's one more verse I want to look at as we're trying to unpack what's in Ephesians 4.18. Ephesians 4.18 is just full of content and we're trying to understand what it's telling us. Mm -hmm. Hebrews 11.3 Notice the first four words of this verse. Through faith, we understand. You know how you come to understanding in life? It's through faith. Uh, Here's a fascinating thing about the Word of God. The, The Word of God is written down. And so a lost person, an unbeliever, can go to the Word of God and they can read it. And they can read the verses. And there's all sorts of brilliant people that have read the Bible And it has profited them nothing for the simple reason, what needs to happen for you to understand? Through faith, we understand. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have faith, guess what? You won't understand. And that's why the most important first step that anyone needs to take is they need to believe the gospel because it is faith that allows us to come to understanding of what the scriptures say. So we covered a lot there on, on verse 18. Let's go ahead and move to verse 19 if we could. Okay. That. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Yeah, verse 19 is more bad news, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, what it says there in, in describing the lost is they're being past feeling. Um, and the idea there is, look with me at, at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. And now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, 
giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Verse 2, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now, in, in Ephesians 4.19, it talked about those who were past feeling. In 1 Timothy 4, it talks about those whose conscience is seared with a hot iron. Now, you understand all this, but let me just make the point. What happens when you put your hand on a hot stove? Well, you don't have to think about it. You will reflexively remove your hand, right? Because your your nerve senses will sense the pain and they will immediately remove the hand so that you don't suffer further damage. But what's a really dangerous thing, what happens if your nerves get seared so that they're deadened? Mm-hmm. Well, what happens is you don't feel pain. And if you don't feel pain, you put the hand on the hot stove and you don't even know anything is wrong. And so mm-hmm. what happens is there's damage after damage after damage to your body because you've lost feeling. Well, that's the idea of Ephesians 4.19, who being past feeling, this is what happens sometimes to the lost, being past feeling, what, what happens is their conscience is seared with a hot iron. And so what do they do? They just cause more and more and more damage to themselves because if you don't have those nerves that are a protective device, you're going to engage in things that are harmful. Mm-hmm. So who being, being past feeling, what do they then do? They give themselves over unto lasciviousness and they give themselves over just to operate according to the flesh. In other words, no regard for God's word. They just give themselves over to the desires of the flesh. It's, 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 a, it's a form of self-destruction is what it is. Uh, scripture talks about the pleasures of sin for a season. season. So there's an initial pleasure to it. But what happens, of course? Well, what happens, of course, is that it's destructive. And in the long term, it's obviously not in your interest. And something that's not in your interest in the long term is not in your interest in the short term. And then notice the last part of verse 19, to work all uncleanness with greediness. So this is what what happens to to, to the lost is the the, the life cycle that plays out for them is because they're alienated from the life of God. What, What they end up doing is they end up becoming past feeling. They give themselves over to lasciviousness and they end up manifesting uncleanness. They don't operate in a way that is righteous. Uh, with greediness. And, uh, you know, you, you've no doubt seen this, but isn't sort of life on earth about more, 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 mm-hmm. more, and uh, keeping up with the Joneses. And uh, by the way, the, the way that most advertising works is we need to tell you that you really need this product to be content. And if you don't mm-hmm. have this product, you won't be. And everything is designed to get you to consume more. Philippians 3 says, whose God is their belly. And so the way our, our, our belly is, our appetites are, we can always desire more and more and more and more. Uh, let's look at then uh, verse, verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. Well, the believer's life in Christ should be different from that, shouldn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, we should be the exact opposite of that, and we should walk worthy is what Scripture tells us to do. The next couple of verses all go together, so we should, uh, we should take those up next time. Mm-hmm. But uh, with, we just have a few minutes here. Um, you know, we, we covered some of the things tonight about the lost man's condition. 
And some of that is, is, is sobering and it's a little terrifying, right? Because there's eternal consequences for unbelief. But just a, one thought to leave you with, and others may want to chime in, you don't have to go to hell. No, no one has to go to hell uh, because Christ died for your sins. And so if you believe the gospel, if you believe that he died for your sins, was buried and rose again the third day, if you trust the blood that he shed for you, God will save you in an instant, and you don't have to suffer any of those horrible consequences. The real purpose we're doing this program is we want people to know that. Um, we want people to be saved because it, it's what gives you eternal life. And so um, I wanted to share that thought. And then Pam and Michael, you may have some comments that you want to make, so I'll turn the floor over to you. Yeah, it's a, it's a real joy when uh, people uh, find their salvation um, and they believe. Um, like you say, it's sad that so many don't believe. Yes. And um, and like you say, the reason we're here is not to lift ourselves up, but to lift up Christ and the salvation that comes through uh, uh, the works that Christ did. Mm -hmm. Pamela? Well, I just wanted to bring out the point that um, people don't understand what spiritual blindness is. And it is a completely different thought um, of seeing things and how easy it is to be deceived by different doctrines and different ways of, of spirituality. And when a person doesn't come to the Bible and have sound doctrine through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for our sins, um, all the other doctrines are doctrines of the devil. Yeah, and I'll, you know, one verse that, is a fascinating verse. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Uh, the key part there is, when should you get saved? Immediately. Mm -hmm. uh, as soon as you hear the gospel, there's no reason to wait. There's no reason to delay. Uh, it's available as a free gift that you can possess for all eternity. Yeah, and it's just believe God. A lot of people believe in God, but they just don't believe God. That's well, mm -hmm. yes, well, well put. Michael, do you want to close us? Okay. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to present your word to a lost and dying world. Lord, we want to serve you in the, in the ministry that you've given us. Uh, we ask that you... Uh, the listeners increase in knowledge and wisdom and have a desire to study your word. And in, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Thanks for bearing with us for the technical difficulties. We appreciate your patience. Yeah, and that makes it exciting, I guess. <laughs> it's a challenge. <laughs> yeah, maybe next week will be more boring. Yeah. It shows us how human everything is. Yeah, that's right. Yes, it is. Yeah, our dependency is on Christ, and that's... We're reminded of that every day, aren't we? Yeah. Amen. You have been listening to Why Paul. Visit us on the web at 14thstreetministries.com. And please join Michael R. Mix, Michelle Mix, David Reed, and Pamela Lampton again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for more thoughts and wisdom. Also, be sure to tell everyone about our program. Yeah.